0: Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Today is uh, the first week of Homecoming Revival. And um, I told you I don't know where this is going to go. And I really don't. And I know that we're going to be having it for a while. We've got some special guests that are going to be speaking at times. Uh, different team members are going to be speaking at times, not sure the format of it, but I feel like Homecoming Revival is about a time where we just sort of take off the preconceived ideas about what God can do, and we let the Holy Spirit just minister to us in a unique and special way, and I feel like that when you have something called revival, uh, to not kind of look at what revival really is... Is a disservice to the revival you're praying for. First of all, you can't really have a revival unless it's preceded by prayer. So uh, on Sunday nights right now, our team is coming together for our blink meetings and we're praying and we're asking God for revival to move in our city, to make our hearts open, for Him to show His goodness and His kindness and His mercy to us in brand new ways. I pray every person that's watching today online, I know you're not in this room, but you're part of what's going on, that you just be able to feel. Uh, the power of the Holy Spirit moving uh, in your life, wherever you are, if you're listening to a podcast, that he would be in your car with you, your headphones with you, um, that what, what, you, know, you might be running or riding your bike down the road on, on AirPods, but that the presence of God would be with you in the, in the middle of your moment. I believe that revival is, is something that is not just a, a planned service that you have where you just kind of linger around and things like that. I think that, that can be a part of it. But I think true revival comes when cities begin to change. And hearts and lives begin to change out there. I think that the wrong kind of revival is made up of what I will call spiritual hoarders. And they are people that like to linger a lot in the presence of God, but you can't really tell that much when they're away from it because all they do is really only talk about being in that place and they don't have a real practical application for how they minister to others. And I've seen a lot of people in revivals or moves of God where they're keeping all this stuff to themselves. I got news for you, it's great to be in your prayer closet but you gotta come out sometimes because people need you. People need the presence of God and the, the revelation you're getting in your prayer closet. I understand And heaven is gonna be full of us being in the presence of God forever and ever and ever. This is practice for what we're gonna be doing for eternity but in the meantime, we need to take the presence of God that's in our lives and share it with people at our schools, and our jobs, and our work, and in our families. So I I feel like that there's a couple of things in revival that we have to realize is that always when you're breaking through to another level in your life, there's going to be new challenges that you're going to face. So during this revival, as we move forward and as this homecoming takes place, and I believe every week you're going to see more people in this room because I believe homecoming is about people finally coming back. I think that we went through a season there where people were away from church, but I believe this is a time that we're going to start inviting friends, bringing people back to the place of God. Homecoming, So we're going to welcome them back home and we're going to experience revival together as a church. So I believe there are some things that you experience when getting into another level, real pushback. I, does that mean I have three minutes left? Is that what that means? Does it really mean that? No, it doesn't mean that? Oh, she's telling me just go. Technically. <laughs> oh shoot, I'm just gonna preach, I don't care. I'm just gonna just go for it, okay, okay. we we'll, we'll just do it. it Shouldn't be called revival if you can't do this. So I think there's some things that wanna stand in your way when, when you're about to break through to that, that next level. And I think one of the things, is this text, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 40 through 51. It says, then David took the shepherd's staff. Remember this guy named Goliath. See, this guy Goliath is cursing the people of God. He's 10 feet tall, and he is openly mocking the things of God. Uh, David had just had enough of it, and even though he was just a kid, and the king's armor, they put it on him because he volunteered to go out and face. No one wanted to face Goliath. So he, all he knows is this shepherd boy. He's just been living a faithful life of watching after the sheep, making sure no bears or lions kill the sheep. He's killed bears. He's killed lions. He's written psalms, wrote a huge portion of the psalms out there in the middle of the field just praising God, worshiping. he got no audience. But he's been honing his faithfulness. He's been honing his skills out there. So this little kid comes and sees this beast of a man who's cursing all of israel and back in that day you know they got their best guy you got your best guy they did battle and whoever won the whole nation won and that's what's happening here and it says david took his shepherd's staff it's what did he take he took what he knew he took what he was confident with let me tell you something today i know how to pray i know how to worship I know what has worked for me in my life. I don't need to get off into some new area and try to figure out something that I don't understand. I want to hold on to what I know. That staff represented what he knows. And if you're in a season of your life where you're facing something, don't go look for a bunch of new information. You go on what works. And we know what works. The faithfulness of our God is what works. We don't have to go find some new author, some new book, some new way of doing things. In one hand, he's got his shepherd's staff. It says he selected five smooth stones from the brook. Somebody say five smooth stones from the brook. And he put them in the pocket of his shepherd's pack. And with his sling in his hand, he approached Goliath. As the Philistine paced back and forth, his shield bare in front of him, he noticed, David, he took one look down and laughed at him, sneered, a mere boy, apple-cheeked and peach-fuzzed. The Philistine ridiculed him. Am I a dog that you come after me with a stick? And he cursed him by his gods. Come on, I'll make roadkill of you for the buzzards. I'll turn you into a tasty morsel for the field mice. Listen to the boldness of our boy here, David. He says, you come at me with sword, spear, and battle axe. I come to you in the name of the God of the angel armies, the God of Israel's troops, whom you curse and mock. This very day God is handing you over to me. I'm about to kill you. Cut off your head and serve your body and the bodies of your Philistine buddies to the crows and coyotes. The whole earth will know that there's an extraordinary God in Israel and everyone gathered here will learn that God doesn't save by means of sword or spear. The battle belongs to God. He's Handing you over to us on a platter. That roused the Philistines. And he started toward David. David took off from the front line, running toward the Philistine. David reached into his pocket for a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine hard in the forehead, embedding the stone deeply. The Philistine crashed face down in the dirt. That's how David beat the Philistine with a sling and a stone. He hit it, hit him and killed him. No sword for David. And then he ran up to the Philistine, stood over and pulled out the giant sword, the enemy's sword. I love this. He takes the enemy's weapon and uses it. I'm telling you something, the devil's trying to take some people out here today. Isn't it amazing that when you trust God, how God will not only end the enemy for you, but he'll use his weapon against him for you. I love this. He takes the enemy's sword and finishes the job by cutting off his head. When the Philistines saw that their great champion was dead, they scattered running for their lives. I'm going to preach to you for minus one minute and 20 seconds. A message that's called Five Smooth Stones. We already prayed a lot and worshiped a lot, so I'll pray one last time. Father, bless what we're about to do in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2005, uh, my daughter was really little, and I had preached on a Sunday, and I would, you could keep playing. No, 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 no. Can't you just stay a little That's too good. It's too good. Um, by the way, that's, that's the Holy Spirit just writing that song today and that, that whole thing that came together. That little can we just stay, we've written that before, but all that other stuff that happened after, that just happened right on the spot. So that's going to be one of our Homecoming Revival songs that we're going to sing every week. So I believe God's going to give us some fresh new, brand new songs that we're going to sing here. So I love that. Uh, so in 2005, I preach on a Sunday. I go home, I'm watching the Cowboys, who they play tonight, so make sure you pray uh, over that as well. Uh, your, your, your prayers worked for uh, Florida state last week. That was, that was hot. Uh, but anyway, so I'm, I'm, two, 2005, I'm sitting there in my house and you know, when, when we had kids, we had a lot of things that we talked about. My wife and I, the way we want to raise our kids want to make sure that we don't ever raise our voice. This, this is like deals that we made together as a couple uh, based on stuff that my mom had taught us. We don't want to raise our voice. If they say something and do something that's really over the top, we want to make sure that we don't let their poor behavior affect our attitude. We want to make sure that our language is consistent, that we're godly. We don't say things in front of them that, you know, we don't want them to say. We don't kind of say, well, you can't do it, but I can. So we had a lot of stuff. Like, our kids could barely do anything when they were little. Like, we, we had so many so many rules. Uh, but I remember there this particular day, I'm watching the Cowboys, and we're losing to... Uh, the Redskins, who, who just should not even be an organization. I mean, it's just they should end the, the Eagles, the Redskins, and the Giants should be taken out of the NFL. It's just terrible. So uh, we're, I'm watching this game, and the Cowboys just start falling apart. And, and just the worst boneheaded coaching call I've ever seen. So I'm sitting there, and it's, it's you know, Aime is there, and um, Mia is there. She's really little, and we're, we're watching the game. And all of a sudden, I just... Th- th- He makes this call. I just go crazy. I go, go, you stink! You are stupid! That's the worst call I've ever seen! And I look around, and and Mia's just going. And and Amy has her head down like this. And and I, I looked over at Mia, and Mia goes... don't say stupid daddy. And I remember this feeling came over me of that's right we don't we don't say stupid. But I think that's a good example. I could give you a million more of how <laughs> especially being a Cowboys fan. I could give you a million more in every way, driving my car, conversations I have with my family, things that don't go my way. I could give, give you a lot of ways that explain to you how I'm more rough around the edges than I like to think of myself. Preach a great message on a Sunday and then later in the afternoon I'm being a real bad example in front of my kids. Come out of a service where God's doing great things, get angry at something, lose faith over something. So that makes me rough around the edges. I think that's a good story that illustrates that we're more rough around the edges than we think. Some of the worst fights we get in with our spouses are at right up to church. Some of the biggest bouts of depression we have are right after a great move of God. If you want to find out how rough around the edges you really are, get in the middle of a move of God. It'll show you. You know, this text, 1 Samuel 17, it says David took his shepherd's staff, selecting five smooth stones from the brook. I've never really focused on that before. It's not the, what I've always preached when I use this text. But Goliath was from a, a place called Gath. And when you look at the word Gethsemane, where Jesus prayed the night before he was taken uh, into captivity, Gethsemane is the place of crushing. It's, it's literally a wine uh, an oil press where they have these gigantic stone vats where they put oil in there, and they, rub, they run these huge massive stones around inside until all of the oil is crushed. And the, 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 the olives are crushed and the oil runs out the side. So that word, Gethsemane, when you break it down, the, the back half of that word means crushing. And the front part is the oil. So it's oil crushing. So even Goliath represents, that name represents a crushing pressure. That comes against you before a breakthrough. So I would like to look at this idea of what's happening here. Gethsemane was an oil press where you could put the olives and crush them. It's a brutal process that yields a beautiful result. Look at someone next to you and say, Brutiful. Not beautiful, brutal. That's brutal and beautiful. Because I'm gonna be honest with you, if you're looking for anything great to happen in your life, it's gonna be brutal. When God does something in your life and it works, it's always brutal. There's a lot of pain in the front part of it. If you're ever going to get to that next place that God has called you to be, it's going to be a brutal process. Now listen, Judges chapter 20 verse 16, we're hearing a story about Israel. It says, among these soldiers, there were 700 select troops who were left-handed. That's kind of dope right there. That sounds like a Marvel movie. Each of whom could, listen to this right here. Each of whom could sling a stone at a what? At a hair and not miss. Could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. I started studying these slingshots and the way they sling these stones. Their accuracy was absolutely deadly. Did you know what I started finding out? when I started researching that kind of accuracy with slingshots, the only way you can have that kind of accuracy is if you are using smooth stones. If you are using smooth, rough edges lead to unpredictable trajectory. Rough edges lead to unpredictable trajectory. In the story, where does David get his stones from? The brook. See, you get smooth stones from the river. Why do they become smooth? Because the pressure of that water consistently rubbing up against that roughness, eventually it gets a little smoother and the rough part chips off and finally you end up with something that is perfectly Smooth. I used to have a friend in high school. He was one of my best friends. His name was Mo. And he was, uh, he was from up north. but or the, He was actually from up north of here. He's from the Louisiana area. But he used to say, uh, he always used to say, Yo, Jed, pressure bust pipes. Pressure bust pipes. He would always say that, pressure bust pipes. And he said, but it also make diamonds. Pressure bust pipes. But it also meant diamonds. I don't know why. It's me right there. The The same pressure that will cause a pipe to burst. In some cases, when you can't handle it, it just busts those pipes. But in another case, pressure creates those diamonds. See, one of the ways you can tell if you are rough around the edges is if you keep missing the marking line. One of the ways you can tell you're too rough around the edges. Last week I stood on the front row and I was standing by my wife and my mom and dad and I, I leaned over. We were singing this song that says, I want to be tried by fire, purified, take whatever you desire, Lord here's my life. I thought, has there ever been a, 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 anything that I've ever sung that I, I should feel more hypocritical about? Because do we really mean that when it comes to our relationship with God? I want to be tried by fire. Who willingly volunteers for something like that? And we're just like, I want to be tried by fire. Purify. Make reservations for Olive Garden later, baby. Lord, it's like we don't even know what we're saying. But Romans 5, 3 says we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. How infrequently do we rejoice at our problems? When's the last time you had a problem and said, praise God, this is an opportunity for you to move. But we should. We should do it right now. So let's do it. Lift our hands and praise God for your problem. Say, thank you for my problem. Call it out, whatever it is. Thank you, Lord, for this situation. Just call it out and thank Him for it. Practice praising for your problem. You praise the Lord for the opportunity. Anybody ever had a season in your life where you're going through this kind of pressure? You're going through that refinement that makes stones from rough to smooth. And you can't hear God during the t- trial. Raise your hand if you're here. If you've ever been through those seasons. where You cannot hear God. Well, I want to bring something t- for you today. One thing I used to notice in school about tests. Is the teacher is always silent during the test. And the test is is not meant to teach you the test is meant to see if you have already learned the material here's another little bonus thing i love that i felt like the lord told me i used to have this one teacher i tried to look him up online because he had the strangest name his name was mr roadside and he was just this. Anybody ever kind of have a teacher who you just kind of got the feeling? They just don't care. Like they just like, they're like, they like put their feet up. They like, they're like the cool teacher. This is this guy. And every single test we would have, he would go, all right, test this Friday. And we come in, he'd go, eh, it's open book. And whenever I have a teacher like that, to gave you an open book test. I felt like the Lord told me. For those that are going through a test, even though I might be silent. It's an open book test. I'm going to give you an open book test. And even during the trial, you're going to be able to open up and see what I have already shown you to find the answers that you need. It doesn't mean the pressure is going to go away. The pressure is still there, but God's going to give you answers. 1 Peter 1, 5-7 says, The day is coming when you'll have it all, life healed and whole. I know how great this makes you feel, even though you have to put up with every kind of aggravation in the meantime. Pure gold in the fire comes out of it, proved pure. Genuine faith put through suffering comes out, proved genuine. When Jesus wraps this all up, it's your faith, not your gold, that will have a display as evidence of His victory. There's a thing called a fire assay. And a a gold assay is the process by which they put gold and they mix it with some iron and they heat it up to unbelievable temperatures. And when it gets to a certain point, when it melts down, they can chip off all the sedatives go down to the bottom and, and attach to the bottom of the gold. But all the pure stuff remains and they can chip off all the things that do not belong. That's what God wants to do in us as we're entering into revival. He wants to smooth us out. He wants to refine us. I read this directly from the place where I was learning about this purification process. This ain't preaching right here. This is actually from the actual definition. It says the main reason for us saying gold is to make sure it meets the standards established by the respective issuing men and meeting the minimum purity requirement God is trying to purify us to get us ready to be able to be used for his glory in a brand new way but he can't use a bunch of rough stones he needs some smooth stones who have been tried and they've come out the other side. First Peter 2, 4, or 5 says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. So in this scripture, it refers to us as living stones for the purpose of building into God's house. But I think in another way, we're also living stones. It ends up saying that he want, the reason we're living stones is so because we're a chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession. There's a great move of God on us. And those that will be used are going to be pliable, bendable, moldable, breakable, smooth stones, tried and purified by the fire. And we will not miss our mark. I love the fact that David, David chose five stones. But he only needed one. All those lonely nights in the field with the sheep. No acclaim, no followers, no lives, no accolades, just dumb animals. He learned how to worship. He learned how to pray. learned how to declare. He wrote songs. He was under pressure. He was working out the rough edges. He thought he needed five, but he didn't realize that God picked out a smooth stone also. And his name was David. See, David was the smooth stone in the hand of the Lord. So I encourage you today, as we're entering into this season of true revival. If you're going through a hard time, if heaven seems silent right now, let God don't resist. Just let God work it out of you. Anybody feel rough around the edges? I mean, just actually lift your hand if that's you. Anybody feel a little rough around the edges? Maybe your attitude, maybe your patience, maybe you're just kind of tired of stuff and you feel no peace in your life. That's rough around the edges. Let's let the Holy Spirit work that out in us so we can become those smooth stones in the hand of the Lord. By the way, He's going to give us some smooth stones to use so we can overcome the enemy, but I want to be a smooth stone in the hand of the Lord. Can I just encourage you to, since I'm 17 minutes over, I'll just keep encouraging all kinds of things. Can I just encourage you to let Let your conversation reflect what God is doing in your heart. Stop speaking negative things in your life. Stop saying things that don't work. Start speaking the word of God over your life. You ever notice that when you go to the doctor, he says, stick out your tongue. You ever notice that? The doctor always tells you, why? Because you can tell the health of a person by their tongue. You can tell the spiritual health of a person. Did you? By their tongue. What's coming out of your mouth. The Bible says life and death are in the power of the tongue. The Bible says from the abundance of the heart. The what? The mouth speaks. The overflow of your heart. Your mouth will speak it. So I just encourage you today. What, what God is doing in your life, begin to speak about the good things that he's doing. If you're in a tough time, begin to declare the things of God. I told you it's an open book test. Whatever you're going through, start speaking the word of God out loud. Don't get into negativity. As a matter of fact, when I was praying about this and, and studying this, I even felt that Acts chapter 2, when I've always like thought, man, that word tongues, that the, the Spirit came on them, they begin to speak in tongues. I've always thought that word was so strange because that's just, I mean, I don't know, I'm a writer. The word tongue is just not like one of my favorite words. But when I think about it, not only was it a different language, that was a specific language, but I believe that it's an anointing to speak differently in general. For us to say things in a different way through the person of the Holy Spirit. Yes, there is the distinction of tongues and interpretation and the kind of tongues, diverse kinds of tongues where people are able to understand. But I believe something else about living a spirit-inspired life is the ability to speak in faith through the person of the Holy Spirit. Stop talking. Look at someone next to you. Say, you gotta start talking different. Come on, look at them, say, see, that worked, because I enjoyed that conversation. Tell them, that was great it was perfect so I just encourage you today pressure bust pipes but it also makes diamonds so whatever you've been through in your life that that tried to stop you you you're not going to blow up through this God's producing and refining something beautiful in you and remember you he found those stones in the brook you don't find a river on a mountaintop you only find the river in the valley so if you're, well, if you're wondering how your journey is going to be from being rough to being smooth, let me tell you, baby, it ain't going to happen on a mountaintop. You're going to have to go through some stuff. Well, if we have a generation of people that are looking to avoid conflict and are looking to avoid trials, rough stones equal weak people. Smooth st- stones equal tough people. See, when you've been smoothed out, somebody got a clap today. You say, yeah, I I don't know what you're doing, but that's good. We don't want a generation that's just trying to avoid all the God is going to be with us through our difficulty, and he's going to bring us out on the other side. Could you bow your heads and close your eyes? Never been 21 minutes over in my entire life, but God is faithful. He's good. He knows what he's doing. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus, you're watching online, you're in the room, I just feel like it's important to respond to the Holy Spirit. So maybe you're here today, you say, I'm rough around the edges. Not only rough around the edges, I've never even committed my life to Jesus. And I think in this room where we're in these moments where the Holy Spirit is moving, we, we become aware pretty quickly whether we've surrendered our life to Christ or not. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. There's a combination of the things you say and what you actually believe. And what you actually believe, the Bible says faith without works is dead. So what you actually believe turns into the life that you're living. So it's what you say, what you believe, and what you do that, that is indicative of whether or not you have Christ in your life. So if you're here today, and you've never surrendered your life to God in that way. I believe that this is the moment I'm going to count to three when I do I'm going to ask you to lift your hand even online I'm going to ask you to lift your hand and type in that chat online I'm lifting my hand I need Jesus when I count to three on three I'm going to ask people to quickly lift their hand all over the room respond to the Holy Spirit today here we go one the Bible says now is the time of salvation two I believe you're here today because the Holy Spirit drew you here Three, hands up all over the room if that's you. Hands going up in every single section today. Every single section of this building. Hands up. There are people online they are lifting your hands. Type it in the chat. Here we go. Right now with your hand up in the air, would you repeat this after me? Say, I ask you, Lord Jesus, to forgive me of my sins. I'm turning away from the old life. Walking into a brand new life with you, Lord. I will never be the same. I know that pressure can be overwhelming but I know that you're also refining me to be used for your glory. Teach me to be led by the Holy Spirit in everything I do, and I'll serve you and follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we give God a great praise? Amen. Invite somebody next week. This is going to be crazy. Homecoming revival. This concludes the teaching.